Father, we thank you that you are so insightful, that you are all-knowing and all-powerful, and you are all-loving. There is so much that we are blessed with, and we ask that you would bless us with just an anointing, all of us in here, Lord, that we might know your will and your way, and that we might be obedient to it. And for us, Lord, it is so difficult But we know by the power of your spirit, we can be those who overcome this world and the flesh and everything that encompasses that. We do long to see you. And until then, Lord, we ask for patient endurance that we are able to fulfill your will here in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're supposed to be going into Matthew chapter 26 since we've finished Matthew 24 and 25. But these last couple of weeks, the last two or three weeks in this Christmas season, I've had the opportunities to talk with people about spiritual matters, different people. There's first, I've done a few Zooms, you know, the um, video conferencing and talking with people on the East Coast. And it's fun doing that. Some people would do it in their car and the driver would be driving and they would have one uh, earbud in and their, uh, the, this guy's wife, she was handling the computer that was right there and she had the other earbud in and they were able to ask questions as they're driving through, I think it was New Jersey and it was at night and it was snowing over there. But I had a chance to talk with them. I had a chance to talk to an individual who claims to be a Christian, strives to live under the Old Testament law like celebrating Hanukkah instead of Christmas and all the festivals. I had a chance to talk with him, and I'm sure I'll have more chances. Uh, A third individual who is interested in different denominations and their beliefs, but holds to his own belief system and morality. He determines what morality is. And I, I made a comment to him. I said, you know, people, they have a tendency to create God in their own image. And that struck him. And he, he stood back. He goes, Oh, that's profound. It doesn't come from me. It comes from others. I'm just repeating it. And he didn't realize that at that particular point. And I've talked to this individual on different occasions. This person also has doubts as to what the right religion is because there are so many out there and there seems to be so many different ways. And then fourth, I had a chance to talk to a couple of Jehovah Witnesses on Christmas Eve. Uh, I was getting ready to get in my vehicle and leave, and I saw them coming up our cul-de-sac where we live. I went back inside, and I said, well, Patty, I'm going to hang out for a few more minutes. And I went back outside, and I was, well, they're not here, so I'm just going to go ahead and get in my vehicle. And as I opened the door to my vehicle, they're walking up the next-door neighbors, and they stopped, and they turned to me. And they said, hello, how are you? I said, I'm just fine. How are you? And so we proceeded to have a conversation. And this conversation probably lasted about 45 minutes. They're actually willing to talk to me uh, during that time. And I, I don't know what they thought about this, but I carry around a New World Translation in my truck. And so I said, you know, I have some questions. They said, they perked up. Okay, what are your questions? I went and got my New World Translation out of my truck. I opened it up. I said, 
And I took him to the book of Revelation 22, and I took him to Isaiah 44, 6, and I took him to Matthew, or John chapter 20, verse 28, and I said, and I asked him questions about those passages. And of course, they, they didn't have good answers. And, you know, first, when I, when I got to the end of the conversation, I said, first, I, I would like us to agree on something, that those who are deceived don't know it. And I saw him pause. There's two of them there. The one paused and he goes, well, sure, they don't know. They don't know that they're deceived they're, because they're deceived. I said, right, okay. So I said, second, since we hold different views on Jesus Christ and the Trinity, I said, obviously, one of us is deceived. And he's, okay, I can agree with that. I said, I give you this challenge. If we sit down and we go through the word and we dissect it and we go through the, the history of the Christian church and all that the Trinity means and all that the witnesses believe, I say, if we come to the conclusion that you are right, I said, I will become a Jehovah Witness. And then I said, will you accept that same challenge if we go through the scriptures? And I ask you, will you become a quote-unquote Trinitarian? I said Christian, and they believe they're Christians. But I said, I I apologize, but you understand what I mean. And he said, yes, I do understand what you mean. I said, will you become a Christian if we're able to go through the scriptures and we're able to dissect them and come to the truth? He goes, no. And I, I said, do you know that this same refusal is what kept the Israelites from entering into the promised land because I've been going through the audio book and uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and, and how the Israelites were just as stubborn as could be. God called them stiff-necked. You know, they would not bow their neck, their, their allegiance to God and, and trust Him. They just wouldn't do it. And he kind of hemmed and hawed at that point. And I also let them know, I said, according to your doctrine, if I don't accept your way and I hold to my beliefs as far as Jesus Christ being God and all of that, I said, when I die, according to your doctrine, I get a second chance when I get resurrected. And they said, well, yes, you do. I said, but if you don't believe the way I believe and I'm right, you don't get a second chance, and you're in error. And I asked him, so what do you think about that? He goes, well, you know, if you commit a really bad sin, you won't get a second chance. And so I asked him, well, what sin is it that I could commit that would prevent me from getting a second chance? And he said, well, that's a good question. He had no idea what sin I would commit if, in fact, I would be disqualified, there has to be something there. Then he invited me to the local kingdom hall. He wants me to show up there, and he wants to have everybody around me, you know, to, to talk to me about this. I just gave him my card. He goes, can we talk again? I said, most certainly. Call me up. Come on over. We'll sit down. I'll give you some tea or coffee or whatever you would like, and we'll have a conversation. And so... You know, talking with those four, and then I, I just yesterday passed up a chance to talk to my friend Omar, the Muslim. But I have to ask him as well. You know, we've gone through this idea of looking at the scriptures and 
if the Bible is prophetic and I would show him the prophecies and I said, if the Koran is prophetic, then I might become a Muslim. I gave him the same challenge. I'll become a Muslim if your word is true, if the Koran is true. And we both agreed. I said, I'll become a Muslim. He said, and I'll become a Christian. Well, he hasn't become a Christian yet. And so I'm going to go back to him and I'm going to say, all right, I've given you the evidence. All the evidence you need to believe. And I'm going to ask him, will you become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, his disciple. And so after some reflection, I have some points to make about these encounters, talking with others about Christ. Because we all know that none of us will get out of this world alive, that we are all at some point going to stand at the precipice, death's door, and we're going to be in the presence of Christ, those who believe in him. Those who don't will be destined for eternal destruction. And it is eternal. Remember, and I like to give these verses often so we can bring them to remembrance whenever possible. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. So some will be raised to everlasting life and some to everlasting punishment or eternal punishment. And Daniel 12, 2 says the same thing, only it says to everlasting contempt. And so we, we have one or two places. There is no way station. There is no universalism where everybody gets saved. And there is no total annihilation where people just cease to exist. We exist forever because we are created in the image of God. It just depends where we exist. Now, with that, what about talking with people? Well, it's profitable to have these kinds of conversations where we talk with people about Christ, about religion, about Christianity. It helps us to sharpen our skills concerning sharing the gospel, knowing the scriptures, and truly establishing what proper doctrine should be. Now, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end thereof is destruction. We are told that in scripture, that it just seems right, it feels right on the inside and God says no it'll lead to your death and we should not lean towards the understanding of this world and the flesh but we should lean towards the understanding God has for us and what his truth is also it builds relationships if handled properly it can enable future conversations I've shared this story before but when I was on a a job there were two Mormon elders. Now, Mormon elders are usually about 16 or 17 years old. And they're on bicycles, and they have white shirts and ties, and they have their name tags. And I was at this particular complex, and they were there, and they came out, and we struck up a conversation. It was just me and the two of them. And I've tried all different kinds of approaches on talking with people who are in the cults like Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, and those who are agnostic and those who are atheists. I love having those conversations because, as I said previously, it helps us to sharpen our skills when we engage someone like that. So this particular time, I believe I was in error, I started talking to them about their particular beliefs. 
and I went into the temple that they believe they can be sealed forever in marriage and have their own planet and they'll have their own world to go to and as God once was, man now is, as God now is, man may become, they'll become gods in their own universe and I instructed them that this is an improper doctrine, this is a doctrine of demons and you guys need to forsake this because God said in, in the Gospel of Matthew and also the Gospel of Luke that there is neither marrying nor given in marriage and they are like the angels in heaven. And this kid turns to me, points at me, walks backwards like this, grabs his bike and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. And he gets on his bike and he he goes way out wide in the street and the other one's just following behind him. I was Satan at that point giving him the gospel. And I missed the opportunity of the relationship. You know, maybe I could have struck something up at another time. And so I believe I erred on that. I was getting really passionate, you know, at at that particular point, and I needed to kind of take it down a notch. But if it builds the relationship where we can talk in the future, that's really good. And this guy, the Jehovah Witness, his name was Gary. I hope he calls me. He has my card. He can call me up. I think the people at his kingdom hall... They know me, and at least some others do. And so uh, I, I don't know if he'll ever call me up or they'll just say, nah, we've had enough of him. You know, let's, let's go elsewhere. But I'm, I'm praying and hoping that he will call me up and he'll come over and he'll bring somebody else and, and we'll talk more about the scripture. But it also improves our apologetic skills, giving a defense of the gospel. Because if you know your doctrine, and Paul told Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely, because if you do, it'll save yourselves and your hearers as well. And so if we have our doctrine down correctly, it sharpens us. It's like practice. If you've never done public speaking, what's the best thing to do if you want to perfect it? Speak publicly. That, that's how you do it. If you want to learn a language, what do you have to do? You have to speak with somebody that speaks that language and you have to do that all the time. If you want to learn to be a carpenter, what's the best thing to do? Don't read a book. Go out there and cut some boards short the first time and then you have to cut a second time, you know. These things we have to practice. And if we're not practicing them, then we don't improve our skills. Philippians 1.15 tells us, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul was an apostle, obviously we know that, but he would defend against false doctrine. And of course, this false doctrine that he was dealing with was inside the church. And then Titus 1.9 says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And this word refute means to convict or convince or tell a fault or rebuke or reprove. So if somebody is holding on to a, a bad doctrine, we're supposed to refute, rep- reprove them, uh, tell them that they are at fault in this and they need to correct what it is they believe. And we're doing this with gentleness and respect. We don't have to beat somebody over the head with it. But God calls us to do this, and this if we engage in conversations like this, it keeps us from being apathetic or indifferent or uninterested 
It keeps us from being lazy or unenthusiastic. We possess, I think most all of us in here, possess this gift of salvation. And if we keep it to ourselves, it does no one any good except for us. And that is antithetical to what Christ told us to do. Give it to somebody else. What if on Christmas you opened up a gift and you were so excited, this, I wanted this for so long, and you don't show anybody else? You, you just walk away with it. I'm so happy. What, what are you happy about? I can't tell you what it is. God wants us to share the gift that he has given to us. Now, all of us, at some point or another, this makes us nervous. I remember when I first would go out witness to somebody, my heart would start racing. I'd get that little thing in my throat where I'd have to swallow, but I, I, I wouldn't swallow because I wanted to talk, and then I had to stop and really swallow hard, and it felt uncomfortable, and it ruined the flow of what I was saying, and it's just kind of unnerving the first few times you do it. But as you're talking with somebody, you get used to that. You get used to some of the opposition or the pushback. And again, we don't have to go on the offensive and be offensive. We can go on the offensive and do it with respect and love. But all this is predicated on being personal. If we're not personal we ruin our opportunity. All real evangelism is personal. It is not an intellectual assent. It is not strictly done through reason. It is done through relationship. For those who have been involved in sales, there's this thing called cold calling. That's where you call upon somebody either in person or over the phone and you say, hi, you guys know what telemarketers are? They do cold calling. How many phone calls have you gotten on your phone in the last month that were somebody trying to sell something? I have an app on my phone. It immediately throws them off my phone if they're not in my uh, contacts list. And I like that. And I look, oh, another one. There would be some days I'll get six or seven of those coming through. But this idea of cold calling is where somebody doesn't know who you are and you approach them and you want to sell something. The chances of them buying what you want them to buy is 1% to 3%. Talk about low. That means somewhere between 97 and 99 times you're going to be turned down. And you might get one out of 100 that will say, okay, I want what you want. But when a call is made with a referral... Somebody says, you know, you should talk to this person. I'm going to set you up with this person and talk with them. It jumps to 40%. And if it comes with inside the organization, somebody wants to know, it goes much higher than that. Now let's relate that to Christianity. If you're going out witnessing and you have a track, what's the chance that somebody is going to receive Christ right there on the spot? It's probably about the same ratio, 1% to 3%. Unless God has been working on them, it you know, may go as high as 5%. But I have only had that I can recall one time. 
out of, I'm going to say dozens or dozens, maybe hundreds of times that I've talked to people where they've actually said, yes, I want to, to accept Christ and be saved. And that was in Ireland with a guy from China. <laughs> and so, and if you recall the story, some of you may remember it. We were, we were uh, witnessing on Grafton Street. It's a street that's all, uh, that you walk through. It's not a street you drive on and there's all these markets on every side. And, and people walk through there when they get off work. There's hundreds of people that go through there. Well, there's an English language school that is there. And people from all over Asia and Europe come there to learn English. And so we thought, what an opportunity. We stood right in front when class let out. All of these people who were trying to learn English came out. Guess what they want to speak? English. And so we approach them and we say, hey, my name is, like I would say, my name is Bill Bodker. I'm with Maranatha and also Calvary Chapel. We're here to give the gospel. Would you like to hear it? And this guy from China, he was probably six foot three, a lanky beanpole type of guy. And I, I gave him the gospel and I could see he was getting tense on the inside. And the Lord just, he spoke to me and I felt he told me to tell this guy, I don't want any money. And as soon as I told him that, you could see his shoulders dropped. And he goes, oh, okay, all right. And he actually started listening at that point. And I gave him the gospel. I told him what heaven is all about. He didn't have an English Bible. I gave him my Bible at that point. And I said, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He goes, yes. I said, wait, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> you know, I, 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 really? You actually want to do that right now? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, okay, let's pray. You know, so it, the Lord... He sends us out to these places, these far reaches, and it could be in another country or it could be right here. You never know. And even if it's that 1%, it's worth it. It's worth sharing the gospel. So I'll never say don't go out and witness. We're supposed to go out and witness because if that one person gets saved, that's what we want. So there's the cold calling. Now, how do you do this? If you're going to cold call, so to speak, how do you do this? Well, there have been several techniques developed over the decades, over the centuries, on how to share Christ with somebody. Like, for instance, there is this idea of the four spiritual laws, and it's all about being personal, that God loves us, and he wants to have a personal relationship for us. That's the law number one. The second law is that sin has separated us from God and has prevented us from having a personal relationship with him. Excuse me. And the third law is Jesus is the only provision for sin which allows us to have this personal relationship with God. And if we receive him, receive the gift of salvation, we can know him personally. So those are four spiritual laws. If you have those memorized, you can give that to somebody. I, I have four spiritual laws. I'd like to talk with you about them. Is that all right? And some people will listen. Some people will not. Some people will say, ah, yeah, I don't know if I believe that. You know, these pastors who are out there asking for money all the time. And, you know, and then they go on these rants. And all you're doing is giving the gospel out there. Then there's the good person test. I think most of you know the good person test. You start out and you, you ask the person the question, 
would you like to take the good person test? Do you think you're a good person? Most everyone will say, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. You say, okay, would you like to answer some questions to find out if you're a good person? They say, well, yeah, I would. And so you ask them, have you ever told a lie? And they say, well, yeah. And you want to make sure you say, even a little quote-unquote white lie. You know, those little ones that are out there. And they say, well, yeah, I'm guilty. And then you ask them, so what do you call somebody who lies? And they'll usually respond and say, a liar. Okay. Then you ask them the next question. Have you ever stolen anything? And I've had some people tell me, no, I've never stolen anything. And I immediately turn and say, well, you just told me you're a liar. Why am I supposed to believe that you haven't stolen anything? And then usually they turn around and they say, well, yeah, I, I have. And I said, even a pencil or a paper clip or anything, have you ever taken something that's not yours? And they usually say, yeah. And then I say, have you ever taken God's name in vain? Oh, well, I, I digress. Have you ever stolen anything? I said, what do you call somebody who steals? Well, a, a thief. Not a stealer, you know, from Pittsburgh, but a thief. <clears throat> you call them a thief. And, and have you ever used God's name in vain? You know, where you've used it in a way that's not worshipful or being instructive. And they say, well, yeah, we've done that. Well, what do you call a person that takes God's name in vain? Usually they don't know. And you tell them, well, that's called a blasphemer. And then you say, by your own admission, you are a blasphemer that steals and lies. Would you agree with that? They say, well, usually they say, yeah. And then you ask him, so do you think you're a good person? Well, and then you go on to explain, God's Ten Commandments tell us that if we violate any one of them, we're guilty of an offense with the entire Old Testament law, and we are under the judgment of sin. But Jesus is the remedy for that. And then you can go into the Romans Road, and you can tell them how you get saved. And then there's that, the Romans Road, Romans 3.10 says that there are none righteous, no, not one. And then there is also all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And then there's Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his love for us. Then in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans five twelve says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way, death came to all men because all sinned. And then Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Romans 10.13 says, For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then also John chapter 1, verse 12, Yet to all who received him and, and those who, re, who believe in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. And so that is the Romans road. So you've got three different ways that you could approach somebody and give them the gospel. Normally, it doesn't work that way. Normally. You can't get 1% to 3%, but these are the, the utility, the tools in the belt. And we want to have them at any given time to explain the theology why we have to be saved. And by the way, with the Romans Road, it's usually not just this rote learning. You go through the steps, but you have commentary with each one as you go through. And every question 
that is asked about Christ. If you're talking with somebody and you're engaging with them, they're going to have questions. Every question that they have, there is a person behind the question. Just because you satisfy an answer, you're not after winning the debate. You're after winning the soul, the person who is there. You want them to understand what Christ has for us and how loving he is. You know, for us, we have to be able to reason through the scriptures, to defend the faith, to give a reason to all who ask. And First Peter tells us that as disciples, we're supposed to be able to do this. First Peter chapter 3, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Like, why do you place your hope or your trust in Christ? You have to be able to tell somebody that. You can't just simply say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. You need to accept Christ. That's it. What more do you need? Well, that's not enough. You've got to express to them, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you see, we have this gift, and we're holding on to it, but we need to dispense it for others. And so we need to make it personal. Don't simply rely on the facts, although we must, but we need to show them the love of Christ, whether you use the four spiritual laws, the good person test, the Romans road. All that is good, good, good. We have to have that. But most people, not all, they are unaware, uninformed, or misguided concerning the things of the one true God. Now, when I was doing the Zoom, the people that are on there, I went through and I asked each one of them, are they going to church? Are they saved? When did they get saved? And so I wanted to establish that. And all of those that I have talked to, at least now, they may not have been on the first Zoom conference that I had, but at least now that they are saved, and they're trying to find a church. One church, well, we worked with Lloyd Pulley back in New Jersey. Old Bridge is the name of the church, and this one woman is actually going to that church. I said, that's great. You're able to go to that church. And then there's a Christian who thinks he is a, a Jew. He's misinformed. He's malinformed. He's misguided. The individual with their own morality that I talked to, ever questioning, not willing to commit to the absolute truth. You know, I, I have talked to this individual over the years and I've told him, you know, there's things that are absolutely right and absolutely wrong and the absoluteness of morality. And we have to hold to that. Otherwise, we are like a, a ship without an anchor. We are just going wherever we want to go. We are never going to be stable. We're never going to be in dock. We're never going to be tied to where we know exactly what is right and wrong and the direction for our lives. If we're just out there floating, anything goes. Anything you want to be right, you can make right. I saw some videos recently of violence. These group of people called Antifa, you know, they they put these bandanas on, they cover themselves in anonymity, they don't want to be discovered who they are, and they actually do physical violence to people. They just walk, I mean, innocent people, the people that I saw in these videos were totally innocent bystanders. They get knocked upside the head, and 
and they feel what they're doing is right. How did we get to the point where doing harm to somebody else like that just because you don't even know who they are, but it's doing violence? They justify it in their own mind that it's right, but they have made it up. And see, that's what we're doing as a world. We are making up our own morality. I had a, a teacher, both in high school and in college, her name was Mrs. Yap, Y-A-A-P. She was a journalism teacher. And I was going on a, a East Coast ride on a bicycle before bicycles were popular, and I went to her and I said, how can I submit an article about this to a magazine? And she instructed me how to do that. And then I started to witness to her because I had gotten saved. And she crossed her arms and she crossed her legs and she leaned forward a little bit. She goes, well, if that works for you, that's great. But it's something that is standalone truth. It's not something that is simply we make it up as we go. And if we do that, there's a destiny for us. And that destiny is not a good one. That's where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or the Jehovah Witnesses who were just as stubborn as stubborn could be. They're, they're like the stiff-necked Jews. And again, when I, I go through the Old Testament, I marvel at these Jews. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, how they were, they just refused to believe and complaining all the time and they would not be convinced otherwise. And then when they repented, they weren't supposed to. They're just supposed to take their punishment and they wouldn't do it and they suffered as a result. They just wanted to blindly hold on to what they had been taught and misguided in. They were not open or willing to change. And I am still open and willing to change. If somebody can show me truth elsewhere that is not in the Bible and I should hold to that, I'm willing. Show me, though. It's like, what is that state, Missouri? <coughs> the show me state? Or the Muslim? Now he, Omar, I know he has been blinded by the enemy. He, he cannot see, and the Lord has to take away the veil in front of his eyes in order for him to see, so he's uninformed and misguided. So some of these individuals I've known only for a matter of weeks. Others I've known for years. And I continue to have a relationship with them where I can talk to them. So how do we reach them? How do we reach these people that need the gospel? And this is the most difficult part. With forethought... And patient endurance, we are to make every effort to reach those who God has set in our paths. Now, the book of Acts tells us in Acts chapter 17 that we are born at a particular time, a particular place. The people that we meet, it was foreordained. God intended for us to have relationship with them. All of you who are here and between each other, We are meant to have relationship with each other. God has foreordained that. And he did this so that by some possible means we would be saved. So this is the most optimal time throughout all of history that all of us might be saved. And Lord willing, all of us are. And so through building a relationship or a friendship, that's how we reach the other people who are out there. And Usually when you meet somebody for the first time or second time, you ask them a lot of questions. For instance, so where are you from? Did you grow up in San Diego? Did you go to school here? 
you went to college here. Did you go to high school here? Oh, really? Do you have siblings? Oh, that's great. What are the name of your siblings? And all of a sudden, it gets into the weirdness. I think you're asking too many questions. You know, and, and you don't want to start getting weird. It, it's like if somebody new comes through the doors and they're visiting the church here. If, if you go up to them and you say, Hi, how you doing? Welcome to Calvary Chapel. I want to tell you everything that we have here in the church. We have a men's study, we have a women's study, we have a prayer group, and you can come to worship service every single Sunday, and it's going to be just great, and we'll have fellowship, and there's other things that we do during the week, and sometimes we have bake sales, and we want to encourage you all we can, and here's the nursery, and there's the toddler room, and by the way, we have kids over there as well, and we like to invite you afterwards to have some fellowship, and some coffee, and some donuts, and sometimes we have vegetables too, in case you're that type of person. What type of person are you? And all of a sudden, the person's going, stop, you know, you just stop. That's not a way to build a relationship. You want to make sure that you just say, hi, welcome. I'm glad you're here. My name is Bill. What's your name? Oh, it's wonderful. First time? Oh, great. Well, I hope you enjoyed the service. If you have any questions, let me know. God bless you. And let them set. You know, we think that if we just convince them, they'll stay. It's God who draws the people. It's not us. And God may in fact draw people, but we want to make sure we don't push them away. You know, it's that friendship thing. You You want to be friendly, but you don't want to... Dump the whole load on them all at once. You know, when it comes to pursuing biblical education, there are some basics which are out there. And all of us need to know the basics. We need to know the Ten Commandments. We need to know the books of the Bible. We need to know the Gospels. You know, why were each gospel, why were they written? You know, each one has a a different take on Christ. We need to know those things. We need to know the basics of right and wrong and how the church is supposed to operate. We want to be aware of gifts. These are basics. But if somebody says, well, I was just studying theonomy the other day and it just blew my mind in the hypostatic union and homoousion, you know, and, and somebody goes, what? They've never heard those things, but somebody who studies for a long time, they they run across these things, and they go, wow, this is really interesting, but it's not for the everyday Christian, so to speak. It's it's not for those who are outside of the realm of, quote-unquote, professional ministry, unless they are spurred on to learn it. Then if they are, it's the same thing with that as it is with somebody who comes to the church. God ministers to the spirit on the inside and they say, you know, this feels like home. I've heard several times this about you guys. Your church is so friendly. They just, they say hi. You know, they they talk to you. I've been to these large churches, they will tell me, and nobody talks to me. There can be 2,000 people sitting there and nobody talks to me. But here, you know, you, you guys give a hug, you give a handshake and... You're nice and you're kind. That's what enticing somebody to be involved is all about. And so we can't force somebody into the body of Christ. We can only lead them. Now, again, if it's not in a weird way. 
you don't look at them and say, you are going to be my friend. You know, if, if, I don't know, have you guys seen that little meme out there, the uh, overly possessive girlfriend with the wide eyes and she's smiling and, and she has things to say about holding on to her boyfriend. You know, this is going to be our life together. And she's holding a knife or something like that. <clears throat> it's not like that. So if we prepare, if we understand that the Lord brings people into our lives who need the gospel those who need maybe slight correction in what they believe. And when I say correction, remember Apollos in the scriptures? He was just a pillar in the New Testament church. And he knew how to uh, speak of the way is what the church was called at that time. But he only knew the baptism of John. And Aquila and Priscilla showed up and they took him to the side after listening to him and they instructed him in a more excellent way or they instructed him about God more accurately and he really became a, a dynamo inside the church. So there are those that need the gospel and there are those that need to be led on to maturity. So with that, I think that if we study and Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we study the word. We're actually in it. And we need to be in it you know, daily. And I know not everyone is in it daily. Well, let's just say really often you need to be in there. And also, we're supposed to seek out those individuals who need the gospel and who need to be encouraged to mature in their faith. And also, it's our ultimate task to secure them, if they're not saved, in salvation, or to secure them while they're in Christ with solid doctrine, to where they can withstand the weathering that will come. And this is all in accordance with what we'll eventually get to in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, about going and making disciples. Now, many people reject the gospel, because of its practitioners. And what I mean by that, especially over in India, I've heard this uh, story several times where like Gandhi, he checked out Christianity, almost became a Christian, but because the followers did not follow Christ, he rejected it. It's because they, they were unwilling to do what Christ said. And for us, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 kind of spells it out. It says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Now, by the way, my job for all of you is spelled out in Scripture. I have a job description, what I'm supposed to be doing. It says in Ephesians 4.11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And by the way, most all of you are doing something. 
most all of you, you're, you're being those disciples. You're being built up in the most holy faith. And, and if in any way you're taking this like, wow, it's a beat down today in church. You know, he told us to do this and do that. And that's not what it's about. It's, it's Christ working on the inside. And you go, you know, I want to do that. I can remember when I first started being a Christian, I couldn't get enough. I was at church four days a week. I was listening to every cassette. You know what cassettes are? I I was listening to every cassette I could get my hands on. I was searching for radio stations. I, I just wanted more. I would order messages and get those in. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That means you actually approach somebody and you say, Would you like to do this? Or will you do this? Or will you and fill in the blank? That means you have to ask. That means sometimes people are going to feel uncomfortable like, No, I'm, I'm just fine the way I am. And we've had people say that. Stop asking me to Bible study. Okay, we won't ask you anymore to Bible study. But we're supposed to do that on a regular basis. We're supposed to be fruit inspectors, not in a condemning way, but we look at each other and say, are you growing? Well, you need to be growing. Even myself, I am not supposed to stop growing. You know, Proverbs 4 Verse 7 through 9 says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. So we're supposed to acquire wisdom and knowledge. So how do we do this? You know, Coming up to 2020, I was doing this reflecting back. You know, How was I last year and my failings and successes and what can I do to improve that. I'm going to give you a roadmap. This is what you can do. Attend a study. That's the first one. If we do not attend a study outside a church, this is monologue. If we don't, do not attend a study where there is dialogue, we are guaranteed not to grow. We will stagnate. We will never progress. There's men's, women's, home Bible study, prayer meeting on Tuesdays, all of those things. Read or listen to other books. Now, I'm not talking about Harry Potter. I'm talking about something that will be beneficial to you spiritually. I've told you this before. I have Audible, the program. And I, I now have signed up monthly because I was just buying books all the time. There's books on there, Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, Evidence that Demands a Verdict, uh, Tactics by Greg Kokel, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Norman Geisler, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and there are dozens. And sometimes, every once in a while, you want to get a secular book that speaks to something in society, like Tell Your Truth About, or Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Violence, and Mental Illness. That was an excellent book to go through about the effects of marijuana, especially on Uh, teenagers and young adults. Then also, we want to commit to listening to other sermons or teachings or debates. YouTube is just filled 
with these things. And as you're listening to them, you can rightly divide what they're saying to see if there's truth or error. I've listened to plenty of people on YouTube that are just plain wrong. I'm just like, where do you get that interpretation? And so then I, I hone my skills by listening to them as well. And also commit to memorizing verses and biblical concepts or precepts like theology. The theology of angels, demons, heaven, hell, universalism, evangelism. You know, Psalm chapter 1 verse 2 says, I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate upon his word day and night. Then like a tree planted by the rivers of water, you'll be grounded in his word. There's actually a song that we used to sing concerning that. And then Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which means we are to grow. We're not to stagnate. And then fellowship, attend as many church events as possible, as well as after church, invite people to a meal. I know one person in, in a church, they got together, two or three of them, and every Sunday they would have a meal and they would invite anybody that they saw that was new to the meal after church, and they would rotate in the different houses. They would do that. They invite somebody. What a great thing that was. And our motivation is to be love and not guilt. We're not supposed to be guilted into doing works of service or reaching out to others. We're supposed to have it well up from inside, like, I need to tell this person. I, I need to let them know. Most of the time, if it's somebody who doesn't know the Lord, will be rejected. But, Christ still wants us to be a witness for him. And it is, Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So he is the one that motivates us. He is the one that brings us forward. And if we do all of these things, if, if that list that I just gave you, if you do all of these, it's going to cause you pain. You're not going to like it. The flesh will not like it. What do you mean? Get up and read the Bible. I need to sleep. Your spouse may not like it. Are you reading the Bible again? Wait, what? You're going to a Bible study again? What? Why are you doing that? It may cause a problem there. It may not. The enemy will not like it. They will throw everything in your way to keep you from fulfilling your commitment to Christ. Your friends and family may not like it. You know, a classic thing is Christmas Eve. Usually uh, we have to make a decision, well, is the family going to come to Christmas Eve service or am I going to go be with the family? And if I chose to go to Christmas Eve service, would they be upset with me because we weren't there? But what if I invited them and would they come in? Just some tension that goes on. And it's natural, it's going to happen. And this will cause a certain level of pain, sometimes great, Sometimes not so great, even anxiety or conflict. But Second Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, this could be the ending of life, but I, I don't think we'll ever get there. We'll just simply encounter trouble. Now, it does say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are those when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so I'm, I'm going to leave you with this, close with this. This idea of suffering to get where we need to get, to whatever degree. It could be a, a 
0.5 all the way, a 10 would be losing your life. Okay, so we're somewhere probably below five on that, but we're going to experience it. And often, especially in this country, we want comfort. We want relaxation. We don't want persecution. We don't want harassment. We want to take the path of least resistance, kind of like electricity, kind of like water. It just flows downhill. That's what we want. We set ourselves up for that all of our lives where now I can relax. That's what's on the radio all the time. You need to retire. You need to retire. Okay, that's wonderful. You want to do that, but that's our mindset. Not doing even more for Christ. There's this person, this young woman, she has CIPA, congenital insensitivity to pain with anhydrosis. What that means is this particular woman, she doesn't feel pain. If you do that, you know you're in grave danger. You could cut yourself and be bleeding out and not even know it until you're dead. This woman's mother, you know what? She prays for her daughter every night. This is what she prays. I pray every night for my daughter that God would give her a sense of pain. Why? Because it's beneficial. It makes us who we are. So my encouragement to you is in this year to come, I'm not saying sign up for pain. That's just going to be a byproduct of what you do for Christ. Learn his word. Make relationships. Invite people to church. Be personal with them. Don't sequester yourself. Reach out. That's what God commanded us to do. And he works within us to want to do it. Just ask him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would fill us full of love for the people who are around us. Help us to die to self. Help us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices so that those who are out there that don't know you or that are misguided or malinformed, misinformed, that they'd be able to accept and ascend to the truth. We know through your power this is possible, but we know that there are many also who will reject your teaching. And Father, help us to have grace for them. Extend to them mercy just as you have to us. We thank you for your loving kindness towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.